welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive episode. We got Brad Freeman on the show as always. We have Ryan Henderson too, as always, uh, one of the co-hosts here on Chit Chat Money. And we're going to be talking Matterport. It is a new stock, uh, excuse me, SPAC that's going to merge with Gore's holding the sixth, um, which it was just a, a, you know, a fun name. And uh, I'm not really sure what they're going for there, but we're uh, going to see this hit the public market soon. Brad, uh, how are we doing today? You ready to talk Matterport? Doing well. And you guys, you guys know, I always love to, to discuss Spackland, So this should be exciting. That's right. That's right. Uh, Spackland. It's kind of like going into a whole new area of the market. You're like open up in a door. Things are crazy. Some stuff has no revenue and is trading at $10 billion valuation, but Matterport at least has a real business and I'll let Ryan introduce it. But first, do you want to talk about our flagship sponsor for the Sunday episodes, Potential Multibaggers? Yep. It is a Seeking Alpha service ran by our friend, Chris. Uh, And the goal or the aim of Potential Multibaggers is to find stocks that can 10x over the next 10 years, which equates to about 26% per year. He's had a pretty stellar track record. I've got some of the numbers here. He picked Shopify at $77. Do you want to pull up that stock price right now? I think it's at like $1,400. So uh, good, solid. Not bad. Not bad at all. C Limited at $54. Okta at $64. The list goes on. He's had just kind of an impeccable track record and it's just... uh, a really sweet community. It's grown a lot in size, but he tries to uh, stay connected with everyone. He can answer questions. Uh, he's really approachable, accessible. Uh, so it's well worth it. Go check it out. Uh, I'm sure we'll have the link in the show notes or just look up potential multi-baggers on Google. I'm sure it'll come up. Yep. And what's his Twitter? Uh, Twitter handle is Chris at Chris from value. Am I getting that right? Yep. Okay. Or is it at from value? Yeah, it should be right there in the comments. At from value. Yeah. It's just at from value. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. But I'll talk about Matterport. Uh, pretty, pretty fascinating company. It's one that I think a lot of us have come across without knowing it. So Matterport's essentially turning physical structures into data. And that, uh, I guess, implies the name Matterport. They're porting matter. Uh, uh, I didn't really realize that until I started to think about it. But the way the technology works is someone, and this could be kind of anyone. So it could be like a real estate photographer hired by a real estate agent, or it could be an enterprise company employee. It could be even just like a normal homeowner goes through a building or physical space and takes pictures of it. And these pictures can be taken on several different devices. So it could be the Matterport Pro 2, which is their proprietary camera that they sell. Uh, And I think that leads to like the highest quality uh, but or it could be a number of other 360 cameras, or it could even be an iPhone. And then once the user submits these inputs from their capture device, Matterport's software engine, which they called Cortex, uses visualization algorithms to build a 3D model. And so, and they call this part a digital twin. And so that's where you can go through and basically have this 3D tour uh, on a computer or on a device. Uh, and it's just really convenient. And there's a lot of different applications, which 
I want to talk about some of the customer use cases, but it's hard to it's hard to pin any down because it they vary so widely. So one example would be, and this is probably like one of the most common ones, would be a real estate agent who's trying to sell a bunch of houses. So they go in, get the pick up the pictures, input it, use Cortex. Now they've got these digital twins that they can give potential buyers digital tours to. Uh, another possible example could be a warehouse who has to meet certain safety qualifications. So if an inspector can go in, look at it, and they can do it right, they can do it remotely just by looking at the digital twin or uh, even like an enterprise. So let's say some enterprise company or corporation uh, wants to configure an internet setup. They can just talk to an internet provider or whoever's going to come in for installation and send them this digital twin and they can kind of map it out on their own. I mean, the applications are seriously endless. Um, They really talk about trying to go after the enterprise. That's what they really mentioned in their S4. But the pricing ranges. So basically, you can create an account and upload one space for free if you're using an iPhone. And that's what a majority of their users or subscribers, I'm putting subscribers in air quotes there. That's what a majority of them do. But if you want multiple spaces or more of a professional grade digital twin, you have to pay a certain monthly or yearly rate. I think most of the subscriptions are month to month, but basically it's all user generated content that gets uploaded because they're going through uh, their own physical structures and taking video of it. And then it's getting ported over into data essentially, which creates this big, what they call a spatial library. They love talking about the spatial library. Yes. And but ideally, some of the way I understand it is they have, and the CEO talked about this, it's reinforcing algorithms. So they use a lot of reinforcing with their, they're trying to kind of fine tune these algorithms to make assumptions about how the building is being well, built. So that you're certain. trying to tag characteristics and features of an item, because if you're doing that on your own, so you're looking at a room in a house, there's tons and tons of things. And if you're doing all that manually, which is what it most of the time is now, and then for some of those competing products, what it is like that too, you might have to tag a hundred things. It could take an hour, but if Matterport is able to do that automatically and they're pitching that as the kind of end game here, that could be a great value proposition to the users. Right. And then ideally as the spatial library gets bigger, that makes these algorithms more fine tuned because they have more use cases to look at. Right. That is, go ahead, Brad. Flywheel. Flywheel. Yes, exactly. Data advantage. Data. You know, I, I'm going to say it later in my low life, data advantage scares me sometimes, but that is what they're pitching. So we're going to try to evaluate, see if you know there's any merit to that. Okay. And then I'll get into the history a bit. So Matterport was apparently spawned out of the Xbox Connect hacker scene in 2010. And Xbox a, Connect. Shout yeah, out. Which I guess you're, you can start to see the parallels there. And it was officially founded in 2011 by Matt Bell. So apparently Bell was working for a gesture recognition company. I think in association with the connect or whatever, because you're, you know, you're basically, it's taking physical actions and uh, turning them into a, a command, essentially a data command. And basically this inspired him to team up with a guy named David Gaussebeck, might be butchering that, who was responsible for de- devising the first capture security system at PayPal. Uh, and the two of them, when they joined Together, they went through Y Combinator and they got a $1.6 million seed round in 2012. And then in 2014, they apparently that's when they really started getting heavy into commercial real estate and they raised a $16 million Series B. One of their big investors is Lux Capital. So if you're familiar with Josh Wolf, uh, 
their fund has was an investor, I think, in multiple series or, or multiple funding rounds. There's also a good video on YouTube that you can go look up with him talking to the CEO. Um, but then they brought in a new CEO named RJ Pittman uh, in 2017. I'll let Brad kind of talk about that. But Brett, you want to get to the competitors first? Yeah, I'll hit industry. We can get real bullish here. All right, let's talk about their SPAC presentation stats. No limits to what you can say on a SPAC presentation. Uh, so they estimate that there is a $240 billion total addressable market if 20 billion spaces, which is how many there are estimated around the globe, go into these digital twins and spatial data, which means that they get their rooms, say just like the room you're in right now, say that gets uploaded to, uh, just think of it like uploaded to the, either the internet or uploaded to the cloud if we want to simplify it. Uh, right now, for reference, Matterport has about 5 million. So they're not getting anywhere near market saturation if you assume that every bit, every building in the world will eventually become a digital twin. Now, we, should you make that assumption? I'm not sure. We can discuss that later. Um, but all outside research seems to indicate that digital twins will go rapidly over the next decade. Um, predictions are for 20% annual growth, 30% annual growth, things like that. If we want to look at competitors, a big one is Zillow's in-house product. So Zillow um, is typically, or a Zillow-like company is typically a customer of Matterport. So Redfin, Compass, those real estate agencies use Matterport. Zillow has their own one. So that's one to kind of keep an eye on, see if they can replicate that, see if Matterport, and I guess a big indicator of Matterport success is if they just get Zillow to eventually come over to them. There's iSpy360, EasyPayno, Virtual Tour, VPIX, Cubix, 3D Vista, Payno2 VR, tough names, but there's tons of them out there. And they all seem to be focused on real estate tours. And interestingly, Matterport is focused on a lot of things outside of real estate, even though that is one of the core use cases. They're trying to go for every single building in the world, whether it's commercial, residential, or industrial. Um, a few things to watch out for, though, are if any of these competitors can build a viable smartphone product. Now, Zillow already has one, but it is for that specific residential real estate use case. And then if it's partners, which could include someone like Autodesk, Unity, companies that are in adjacencies to them and that work with Matterport to plug into all their tools, if they have the software expertise to build something that can be a competitor to Matterport, and if they can't, that'll kind of be a test of Matterport's advantage or technical expertise. Yeah, that all, yeah that makes sense, Ryan. Okay. And I'll also add that Another kind of competitive advantage is the capture devices that they can use. So I think Zillow is able to use the iPhone as a capture device. A lot of the other alternatives, you need sort of a professional grade 360 camera. Yep. So that kind I of opens that, yeah. up the market a lot. And that's why Matterport has over a hundred times the number of spaces under management as the rest of the market combined. Yeah. And they only launched the iPhone one in 2020. Or so. 2019. So pretty recently. And, and then Android just came out. So did it know, come out or it's under beta? Uh, well, it's, I guess it's out. I don't know if it's full blown yet, but yeah, that goes over industry. Brad, you want to go through the management and the ownership of the company? Yeah, love to. So RJ Pittman, as we talked about, is the CEO, but not the founder. A pretty impressive resume. He was the chief product officer at eBay. He was the head of e-commerce platform at Apple, a former Google product project manager. Um, Compared to some of the other SPAC CEOs that I, I've listened to and, and observed, he seems a little less in your face, a little less over the top. Um, he does give great interviews and he also articulates the bull case and optimism effectively, but there's a healthy balance that I think is lacking from some of these leaders in this 
um, in this specific uh, asset class. So he's got a 76% Glassdoor rating, but only 83 reviews. So not, not a ton of data there and, and take that with a grain of salt. He is a University of Michigan alum. So, you know, he's amazing and awesome and, and go blue. Uh, I'm, I'm a Michigan alum in case you were wondering, <laughs> uh, but JD Fay is the CFO. He doesn't have the, the really highlight experience that RJ Pittman has, but he did go to Harvard Business School. Silicon Valley Business Journal has named him CFO of the year, and he does have significant experience as a financial higher up at some um, not public companies and not companies that I don't think our viewers would, would know, but he's got, he's got relevant experience. Um, Jay Remley is the chief revenue officer. He's the former director of Google, Google Cloud. Uh, other highlights, uh, there's an early architect at PayPal. A VP, a former VP of the Real Real and Salesforce, and a former VP of Design at eBay. Um, ownership is pretty straightforward, as all SPACs are. So existing investors are rolling over 75% of the outstanding equity as GHVI merges into Matterport. Um, GHVI shareholders specifically are going to get 12% of the offering. The pipe, which is private investor in a public enterprise, is going to get 10% of the offering. That includes uh, your juggernauts like BlackRock and, and Fidelity and Tiger, Tiger Global as well. Uh, sponsors get the remaining 3% of that deal. Mm, 3%, 3% fee. <laughs> that's all. I mean, that's how it is with SPACs, but I always kind of just, you know, old man yells at cloud when that occurs, uh, 3% fee for one deal. But yeah, that's good. We'll get, we'll get right into valuation next. Um, so this is pre, pre-merger spec. Uh, like Brad mentioned. So we're going to have to do a little bit of math here for the market cap. But from what I read, the merger is, you know, they're saying it's imminent. So it should go over soon. Ticker is a GHVI if you want to buy it currently, but it will trade under the ticker MTTR post-merger. Current price for the SPAC is $13.95, but the merger goes through at $10 a share. So investors are buying at an estimated $3.2 billion enterprise value right now. Cash position though is subject to change because they did that presentation back in February. So they either could have burned some money or maybe made some profits during that time. EV to sales is 25.6 based on their 2021 revenue guidance and then projecting to stay unprofitable until 2024, but they are guiding for gross margins to expand rapidly. So watching that line item, watching gross margin as a metric is, I think, something you want to do as an investor if that creeps up over time as they say right now it's i think in the 50s or maybe in the 40s i think it's in the 50s they're expecting that to get up to 80 percent from a consolidated standpoint as subscriptions become larger part of the business that's a big thing to watch for the valuation going forward if they're projecting to stay unprofitable or right around freaky yeah and there was also kind of a good bit in their s4 that they filed where they were like we're going to use this money to invest basically through the income statement and power up and try to go after the market. And then they also said like, if this doesn't go through, we'll just peel back on spending and try to be more profitable, which was kind of uh, interesting to think that, and that probably dictates a lot of their spending now that they know they have the funding uh, possibly secured. And then they have funding for VCs, which we'll talk about here in a second, but they had $86 million in revenue in 2020. That's up 87% year over year. And they break down revenue into four parts. And this part's pretty interesting. So I'll kind of go through each piece. Subscription revenue. So this is just people paying to utilize the technology, which is kind of what we talked about. That's sort of the common customer use case. That was 48% of revenue, but that'll likely be higher over time. I think there was sort of some one-time blips due to COVID because so many people tried to port over their physical spaces into data, um, which 
created a lot of product revenue, but license revenue, this is Matterport allowing certain customers to access their spatial data library. So they're basically just giving away access to their data. And I think this is more companies that are like, that need access to all of it. So like an apartments.com or a Redfin. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Because I, I, I don't know. It seems like that was a new revenue item. I'm not sure if those go in there. It could be. It, could it was be. introduced in sure. 2020. It's but 90, I thought they've been with Redfin for longer. Yeah, I'm not, I, mean, I guess I'm not sure because they don't break it out. I tried to look, but I can't, I can't think of who else would need to use it. Uh, reason, like, probably just researchers, you know, AI researchers, stuff like that. It's only 4% of revenue, but it's 98% gross margin. Uh, very easy revenue. I guess, ideally, as they grow, the spatial data library becomes more and more valuable the more uh, spaces they get on there. And so that's just a huge profit driver, um, hopefully. And then product revenue, this is mostly them just selling the various capture devices that they have. So kind of hardware. Uh, ideally, this shrinks as a percentage of their overall revenue as they scale. Uh, and then services revenue. So this is like if an enterprise said, all right, we want a digital twin of our building. Why don't you just come in here and do it yourself? We'll pay you to do it. So professional services, they send an actual personnel. Yeah, that's very low margin. Uh, so it's not a huge part of their business, but still 9% of revenue, I think. And then 56% gross margin overall up from 48% a year ago. They are spending a ton of money on operating expenses, as I talked about, uh, which I guess isn't a surprise given that they have a lot of VC funding. And they would also, I also think it would be almost irresponsible not to spend money going after the market right now, considering that it's so new. Why raise this back if you're not gonna? Exactly. I, I mean, I imagine that's what the money's for. And then uh, they had negative 11 and a half million. So they had an 11 and a half million operating loss for the year, uh, negative 8 million of free cash flow. And so they're getting closer to profitability. But as you mentioned earlier, they're likely going to start investing a bunch of money back into the business again following this merger. So they're not expecting to be free cash flow positive until 2024. They had a net dollar expansion rate of 112%. They had 4.3 million spaces under management. That's a number they talk about a lot. Uh, and if you're saying, if, if you're confused on what I said earlier, they updated it recently that, so that, that the number Ryan's referencing is the end of 2020, it's gone a little over 5 million now. Interesting. And then they had 254,000 subscribers that number's up 542% year over year. That tells you what, uh, what kind of impact COVID had on them. Although, and the iPhone launch. Yeah. All that is sort of the caveat is 83% of those subscribers are free. Uh, so less growth in the paid users. Uh, and then they expect a 54% revenue CAGR over the next five years. Oh, bank that. That's okay. coming. <laughs> now, that is rosy. That's a little optimistic, I imagine. But also given the market that they're in and how it's so young, I guess it's not impossible. Yeah, that's something we're going to, we'll definitely debate that on the second half. So we think there, uh, Brad, any thoughts on earnings or valuation? And if not, you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity. Yeah, I'll head to balance sheet and liquidity. You guys did a great job covering earnings, but pretty straightforward as as all these post spac merger balance sheets are. So it'll have sixty five or six hundred and fifty five million in cash on hand post merger, no debt, um, far from profitability as Brett mentioned, not getting there on, on from an EBITDA perspective until twenty twenty four. So there could be future raises, but as of right now, they have a pretty comfortable cushion, negative um, eight million in free cash flow, six hundred fifty five million in cash on hand. Um, They've got a lot of cash. I'll yeah, say, or go ahead. Ryan. I'll say this though: they there is a little bit of debt. It's 
it's close to zero, but it's like, I think it's 12 billion or sorry, 12 million in long-term debt, which will probably get retired, right? Maybe not. I would think so, but don't you think they would have retired it now that they have like fifty million in cash currently, uh, and it's, and it's I mean, pretty high interest, really? So yeah, usually, I would... usually these these spec mergers, uh, it happened with Tattoo Chef and Butterfly for me. It, it just illuminates all the debt from the balance sheet, um, and it just pays pays it off. Uh, but we'll see if that. I think it's happening. Um, will happen here, but we'll see. Yeah, and that's the tough part about the balance sheet with the spec. Before you know, we're not getting. We're not getting the audited balance sheet, and that's the big worry a lot of times because sometimes there's the, um, what should we call it? They have to correct things, make some adjustments of, of what they were doing in the past. Matterport seems like a pretty professional company. This you know this has been around for a while, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. And it seems like they have a good investor group, but you know with these things, we're not getting too much insight. And I'd honestly be worried about a company having too much cash because you can get really used to being able to burn money and that can build bad habits. Yeah. It, it, it's not a guarantee to occur, but you know, here's you get comfortable with losing money. <laughs> I'll pose this question before we get kind of, before we go into the break is, so they're going to have all this money post-merger, hopefully uh, $655 million. And the idea is that they're going to use that money to go after this giant market. But don't you think that this market is more of like inbound sales than outbound sales? Like, I don't know. It seems like customers would come to them as opposed to them going out to enterprises like, hey, you want us to take a picture or tour yeah. of your building and subscribe uh, to us for months? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. You could be right there. Brad, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think with, with the, these business to business companies like like Matterport is, uh, I mean, the marketing won't be as, as in your face as commercial campaigns, hopefully, because I don't think that will be all that effective uh, marketing to consumers. But I, I think there are, there are ways to, to, to reach an Amazon or to, or to reach somebody else and, and to, to market yourself in an external manner um, that's more effective for B2B channels. Yeah. I mean, they could throw a lot of dollars after going after say Amazon, Walmart, some other giant retailer, Home Depot or something like that and say, Hey, look, we'll hit your warehouses up and we're going to make your efficiency soar. Something like that. Is that and, what the pitch is? Like, you're going to, there's all these different use cases for why you need a digital twin of your various buildings. So it's probably best to just have it or. Yeah. And that's the whole question is, can, is Matterport the one that can do this or could someone like Amazon just build this tech themselves? Um, and then on the consumer side, and I guess we'll, we'll hit the break after this, cause it's really for the second half on the consumer side, it seems like it's more of a leap to, if they, you know, they're kind of marketing it a little bit to be for consumers. Cause they're, you know, they're pushing that, the, the, the smartphone stuff. It seems like it's going to take a little bit of a leap to convince people that this is something I need to do. Um, but great. Well, we can talk about that more in the second half. Let's hit the ad break and we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. 
Okay, welcome back. Let's hit some anecdotal evidence here. Brad, uh, looks like you got some, you may have used the product or something. You've been in a company that uses it? Yeah, I was not trusted to use the product myself, but I did observe my boss trying or fiddling with the product a little bit. So um, I started at Bedrock Detroit, which if you're not familiar with that, it's same family of companies as StockX and Rocket um, and Rocket Mortgage. Uh, we were flirting with integrating this into all of our residential properties. I left before we made a decision and I have absolutely no idea what they decided. Um, but the software was really cool just for me, from me observing it. I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit, just kind of taking a picture of something and getting a, a detailed 3D rendering of it. Um, it kind of felt like I was stepping into the future a little bit. Um, so I thought it was cool. Yeah. If you know you want a digital twin uh, and it's something that could help you, it seems like the tech is pretty dang cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Ryan, any other evidence you've found? Uh, I haven't actually flirted with the product uh, as far as input, like on the input side, but as a customer, I've seen like the videos and one video that gave me or tour that gave me sort of a good idea of the potential optionality was they went, it was a an appliance retailer used the tech and you could just click on the map, I guess, on their website or whatever. And you could walk through the store and it was like, all right, a chandelier. This yeah. isn't necessarily an appliance. Some different but, washer and dryers. Yeah. And you could like, I started to think about the e-commerce avenues where, oh, okay. I can click on that, see what it is, buy it, that kind of thing. Um, Omnichannel. Like, kinda, yeah. Product identification. And they've talked about that as an extension. There's just, it really reminded me the amount of different types of use cases that apply here that this tech could go to. Yeah. And I think I agree too. Just the caveat is it's all potential. A lot of it is potential use cases. So it's a, it's a wait and see almost. You got to be confident in the potential. Um, and I guess the anecdotal evidence for me, I, I have some comments, but I, I really, you know, you don't want to get caught up in like kind of the TAM sanity numbers. They tout that 240 billion one, and then they tout like a $1.2 trillion one, which I think is <laughs> a little aggressive for their uh, product, which, which is, you know, it's kind of niche, but I found some comments on YouTube where there's this one, I think it was under that Lux Capital video. It says, quote, I use Matterport and DJI drones on a nearly daily basis for insurance claims, documentation and litigation support. The tech is game changing. Now people are known to exaggerate in YouTube comments, but that's a good sign. And then, you know, that that's great. But when I was looking up some of the competitors, People said that, you know, quote, many agents find it to be expensive and complex. So the worry is that Matterport's tech is so good that for the simple use case of real estate, you don't need all this complication. And then some of the things like Zillow or those other ones I listed before could really solve the basic problem for residential real estate, which is a I, large part of their market. Yeah, I think, I guess right now it is, but they did obviously, I mean, they're really trying to push this we want to sell to enterprises. So even if they're basically taking in free customers to do the residential, just to improve the algorithms, that's not really a bad idea because it yeah. just kind of builds a bigger spatial data library. And uh, there, there's, there's a ton going after residential real estate, tons of companies. It seems like Matterport might be the only one that's trying to aggressively go off anything that's not residential real estate. So it's interesting. They might have an open playing field there, blue ocean landscape, uh, all right. Future growth opportunities, Brad, what do you, what do you got for us? So with the company operating in pretty much every single industry um, that buildings exist in, it's hard to peg a future growth opportunity. I will say 
I didn't see the these global uh, casino chains on or, or in these in these or maybe a Marriott or something like that um, as as one of their uh, primary clients or one of the, the highlights from the client list. So getting into all of these rooms, I, I think, would be um, a really compelling growth opportunity going forward. Just considering there are tens of thousands of rooms just in Vegas alone. Um, it, I did. I did see a hotel chain. I forget the name of it. I did see a hotel chain on one of their presentations. So you're right. They might. That might. That could be a big expansion opportunity. Marriott's them. a customer. I think there was a Marriott yeah. on there. Yeah. So they have yeah. one. So they could expand to all of them. I mean. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I really think that that getting into the, these hotel chains. Um, and they're in Airbnb. Um, so it's a place. So it's not. And and you said they're in Marriott. So really not that big of a stretch. Uh, but the other growth opportunity I had, it looks like I'm stealing Brett's, so I'm going to let him cover that one instead. Okay. Yeah. Well, go ahead. you're on. You're on consumer, so I, I go ahead and take it because I think mine is going to be more for industrial. If you want. Perfect. Okay. Well, I, I think, um, and, and this is reaching a little bit, but partnering with a Snapchat, I know they're doing a lot of stuff with um, augmented reality and and really trying things on. But I, I just envision a really strange world, but maybe not so strange in 20 years where instead of going to a mall, we're just walking through a mall with Matterport and with Snapchat and trying various things on um, from the comfort of our own home. So a little bit of a, a science fiction future growth opportunity there, but I, I think it'll be a reality at some point. Yeah, Snapchat and Facebook could be good partners. Again, though, this is my worry. Do, do Snapchat and Facebook need Matterport to build something like this or can they do it themselves? I think that's the big question. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, I guess the Oculus applications make sense or the Oculus for sure, partnership. For sure. Or if they have, and honestly, maybe more for Microsoft with their, because they, they're more for commercial, like VR and AR stuff, right? I'll talk about mine. Uh, future growth opportunity for me is launching the Android app. So it's currently in beta. And I guess this isn't some profound uh, growth opportunity because they're already going for it. But I looked up just Android's market share of the mobile operating system world. And it says 72.8%. It looks like you, someone here has pegged a higher number. Yeah. So on the conference call that they did, the most recent one in either June or May, they said that 85% of smartphones, these are all estimates. So it's just kind of, you know, majority. Okay. Well, uh, somebody, uh, correct Google, Google versus management. Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Google's the one that, uh, runs Android. So maybe that, maybe that's right. Yeah. But this, I mean, this obviously, leads right into the international expansion, which they are trying to go after with Android being so prominent internationally. Uh, if you can get user-generated content from all these different people, uh, obviously the international expansion will be made easier. And then another growth avenue that I kind of wanted to talk about is the add-ons. So their platform allows a bunch of extensions. And I think part of this could be made by other people with their APIs, but you can document certain pace, like you're able to let's say scan through like a construction site and then you can tag stuff, write notes. So I, I see, I can That's see how I have the partnership with the Autodesk BM, BM 360. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those kind of extensions really start to get me sort of pie in the sky optionality mentality. Yeah. And it is applicable to all spaces. So the international push makes sense. It's, you know, different markets are, they're all, they're different though. It's hard. It's hard to win in so many different countries. Um, and yeah, future growth opportunities for me. I mean, they're launching partnerships left and right. Now we'll see what they end up bringing in in revenue. But the latest one that I saw in their press releases was with PTC, which is one of those CAD tools, I believe, but they're kind of focused on augmented reality. So they're combining for some augmented reality tools for industrial use cases. There was a lot of buzzwords in the press release. I read it th like three or four times and it 
I couldn't keep up exactly with what it was, but it sounds like the combination of the spatial data technology from Matterport and AR tools from PTC for industrial use cases. This move out, you know, I, I think the real estate market could be crowded and tough to win, but it seems like the move out of real estate seems promising as almost no competitors are focused on that. So this seems cool. I mean, industrial stuff, uh, there's so many things in like a manufacturing facility. There's so many things you could tag that can help people out. And as far as just data for their enterprise push, I think right now they have 13% of the Fortune 1000. So the opportunity is still there to go after these big customers. For sure. All right. Highlights and lowlights. Brad, what do you like? What do you dislike about this business? Yeah, pulling two of those shiny metrics that they listed from the SPAC presentation. So their LTV to CAC, which is lifetime value divided by consumer acquisition cost, is 12. That That is unheard of, amazing, fantastic, crazy, world-class, if true. Um, I, I, two to three for, for an LTV to CAC is phenomenal. So 12 is just eye-poppingly phenomenal. Their retention rate also soared last quarter from 112% to 127% which is also phenomenal. So this essentially means that they have a, a limitless supply of, of, of productive spending, of productive dollars to spend on profitable growth going forward. Um, and with a pretty much limitless TAM, the runway looks just, it's, it's mouthwatering. And again, I caveat that with, it's a SPAC presentation, um, a 12 times LTV to CAC is unheard of, but that's what they're saying. So, yeah. Yeah, and I would add that if someone is saying their LTV to CAC is 12, then they raised the $600 million. You should expect them to spend the $600 million and realize what, well, I don't know, this lifetime into, value of billions of dollars. This gets into my question is if the CAC is so cheap, doesn't that mean it's coming from inbound? Like, like people are coming yeah. to you. How do you, what does the money do that you raise from this merger? That's, that is, that is a big yeah. question. Yeah. All yeah, right. But what about, what about low lights, Brad? Yeah, low lights. So um, I, I am going to go, it, it's hard to peg a low light outside of it's really expensive and that's against the rules. But I'll, I'll go with the margin profile not being as compelling today as these other as these other companies trading in the software as a service realm. Um, it has gone from 48% to 56%. That's admirable, admirable expansion. But for a company that's going to have a frothy multiple like this one's going to have, um, 55% needs to continue going to 70, 80% for this to make sense. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That, that is a big thing to watch out over the next few years. Ryan, what do you like? What do you dislike about this? But before I start, I, I didn't interrupt any more of your highlights. Did I, Brad? No, no. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I think I've got, Oh, Airbnb using it. Um, that's a cool customer. So I'll throw that in there, but you did not interrupt anything. Okay. Yeah. They got, I think Airbnb itself has 5 million homes. So that's, you know, talk about dollar-based net retention rate. I mean, they could spend a lot of money with Matterport. Yeah, I'll. My highlight here is there's no need to capture a structure twice. So the I guess once you've done it, that's sort of an advantage, right? Because they're just kind of maintenance. You, yeah, you've used Matterport. So what's you don't need to go switch. And I mean, Matterport doesn't have to acquire customers twice. It sounds like so it's not like an Uber where they're competing constantly with Lyft and they have to go out and offer deals over and over. So. I guess also the the bigger the spatial data library gets, the bigger theoretically that their competitive advantage grows. If it is really a data advantage where it's helping inform the algorithms, that's great. Um, 
Uh, also, then the incentive for uh, other platforms to try to license it is also higher, which is 98% gross margin. So I'd love to see that become a huge, like a huge part yeah, of their business. For sure. Uh, Lowlights for me, the it's hard to understand the ins and outs of the tech. So that makes it a little difficult for me to see how difficult would this be to replicate from like an alternative or a competitor. But then also, I think this was like two days ago, the ex-CEO filed a lawsuit uh, against Ooh. the company claiming that Matterport is putting onerous restrictions on its shares. Not a huge deal. Yeah, that happened to Match Group with the Tinder founders. It just <laughs> sounds like there's a little bit of animosity between the old CEO and the current management. I also, I'm not in love with the current CEO. I think they brought him in as a sales guy, probably, um, with yeah. kind of enterprise experience. That's not... Uh, there's nothing really wrong with them. It's just, I wasn't completely sold on them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'll hit my highlights. I mean, summing up, it's pretty easy. The growth is great. The potential is great. The unit economics are great. If everything can eventually be fully automated, like we've talked about before, and that's with the tagging, et cetera, if, if they can use their, um, and you know, these are buzzwords, but if they can use their machine learning algorithms and their AI tools, like they claim to basically automate everything for you or automate it to 95% accuracy or whatever, that value proposition versus the competitors will soar. Well, it's though, I had two big concerns that I'm thinking about. One is I kind of question how many people actually want to pay for this stuff at Matterport's premium price. Ryan mentioned that there's 83% of the new subscribers were free. Could they convert to paying over time? We'll see. Uh, we'll definitely see there, but from an individual's perspective, I just worry about who's going to pay for the product. You know, real estate agents definitely will industrial, you know, companies spend lots of money. They got lots of money to spend, but from individuals, I, I, I'm a bit concerned there. And then, you know, claims of data advantages kind of throw me off because that's not, you just have to take their word for it. And that's just tough to do. Uh, and the last thing I worry about, is this a tool or a company? Like, okay. An example of what I'm thinking about here is, you know, something similar to this is the road and 3d view on Google maps. Uh, that took a long time to do, but it's really been a great asset for Google alone though. The 3d view of roads is really nothing, but it is a great feature on a yeah. product, uh, on a company. You know, if you think Google maps is a separate company now. Of the thing maps. Is, I think they integrate with Google Maps. And maybe that is, yeah, maybe maybe they do. And that's what makes it valuable because they're kind of the, the middle part of all this. But I worry that yeah. where the value is going to drop, like where who who's going to accrue the value to here? Because one, Matterport isn't, is, doesn't have much of a relationship with the end consumer. So sometimes those companies that sit behind the uh, company that taught, you know, uh, has a relationship with the end consumer, don't accumulate all the profits, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely see. And I could, I could be definitely wrong there, but let's move to bull case and bear case. Brad, what, what kind of bull case you're seeing uh, for Matterport at this valuation? Yeah. With, I mean, Century 21 and Redfin and, and, um, and Airbnb again as clients, it seems like they have a pretty tight grasp on this real estate market. Um, but the, the bull case for me is really that this, this transcends the real estate market and they can get into, or, or, and there are compelling use cases and there is compelling utility for getting into other spaces like construction and all of these other, uh, and all these other use cases that they call out. Um, and if that that's true, then this, this 12 to one LTV to CAC, which means they generate $6 in gross profit for every dollar they spend today. And that's going to only go up. 
that they, they can just be as aggressive as they want to at pursuing all of this opportunity. I mean, the market's huge. And if they really are, I mean, they're a hundred times, they have a hundred times more spaces than all their competitors combined. If that's really the advantage, if that's, if that's the indicator that their tech is that much more superior to their, to the alternatives um, and they can use this merger cash to go after it and get more customers, the optionality is kind of endless. And so the, the bull case is kind of like the Brian Feroldi approach. I know it's obviously it's trading at like a $3 billion valuation right now, but he said something along the lines of if it's, sub 3 billion. And I think, well, he said, if it's sub 1 billion, I think it'll be a $10 billion company. I don't care what I pay for it. I would there, you could have the same sort of mentality here with Matterport. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Above a billion. Yeah. I'll kind of go through some numbers that people might want to expect, like at the current valuation, if I'm not saying to, this is to realize their current valuation, because if you're investing in it, you think it can provide good returns for you. If, you, if you're investing in it now, you should really expect Matterport to get to a few billion in annual revenue and then around 500 million in free cash flow in order to have receptable returns over this decade. I wouldn't be surprised if they can do that, but that is, it's just a ton of growth and, and that's what's getting priced in right now. Um, all right, bear case. Brad, I think we lost you, but are you back with us? Uh, do you want to yeah, get you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah, you can hear it. Yeah, we can hear you. Perfect. So, so the bear case here is interesting. They, they, they are extremely ambitious. So they, they, to me, they have thing like ambition where they're not, they're not tackling the real estate market. They are tackling every single market that they, that, that has buildings. So um, the lack of focus, I, I think is, it could, could be seen as a strength, but I'll, 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 I'll take it as a weakness here. Um, there's going to be with the, with the opportunity as compelling and lucrative as this one, there is going to be a lot of competition and, and them being spread this thinly um, so early on doesn't seem like the best approach to me, to be honest. It's probably, it's probably bolstering their growth right now, but I would have loved to honestly see them just dominate the real estate market and then expand into other places. Um, because I mean, Fang names like, like Facebook and, and all of them, they didn't do everything at the very beginning. They did one thing extremely well, and then they went from there. And, and it doesn't seem like Matterport's doing that. And those type of companies got really, really profitable, started generating tons of cash that was, you know, reliable streams of cash that they could take and make these other bets. Matterport seems to be announcing all these pro- partnerships, initiatives, and it could work out, but they're all doing it while they're raising money and burning a lot of cash at the same time. Yep. Yeah. I, that, that's a good bear case. It's kind of, is am I using this right? Their horizontal market is what they're kind of going after. Uh, they are, yeah, they're going after a horse. Yeah, they're basically trying to go after a really, it's a pretty thin one, but a really just trying to be the whole horizontal value there. Okay. The value, uh, I might be everyone's wrong, tool. But what, yeah, they are spread a little thin, I guess, for a company of their size. Um, the other bear case for me is that competitors catch up. Uh, and I, this is the part where I'm having a hard time distinguishing. I mean, the hundred times more spaces figure is compelling. If they have a data advantage, that's great. Right. It's, but yeah. if they don't, and this sort of, I forget what you'd call it, photorealization process product type of thing becomes commoditized, then it, the returns probably aren't going to be there. They're probably not going to be able to, it doesn't warrant this valuation. The, the assumption here is that the advantage is as big as they claim. And now they just need to go out and grab customers. The, the, yeah. And I guess I say that I should rephrase what I mentioned. It's that the, they have the data advantage, but the bear case is that it doesn't matter. Um, I'll, I'll hit mine. I think 
if they struggle for product adoption outside of easy use cases, that, you know, that's another thing I would have here. And then I mentioned before, but if the value in the supply chain doesn't flow to Matterport or the spatial data aggregators, then it could be a poor investment. I'm, I have no conviction that this will happen. I, it's just something to think about. Um, you know, the end users of these for commercial, or sorry, for res, uh, for consumers are Redfin, um, Zillow, I guess is a competitor, but you got, you know, Redfin and stuff like that. And then in industrial, you got Autodesk, Procore, uh, PTC, stuff like that. Uh, those companies are highly profitable. Uh, maybe Matterport is so asset-like that they're going to be able to be profitable too. It's just something to think about. I do think about, I question how valuable this is just in general. Like Exactly. Especially in like the residential housing market. I guess maybe that's why they've made it free for like single subscribers, but it's nice to have but it's not like a make or break on buying a home. And you're probably, even if you've gone and done the digital tour, you're probably not going to buy a home without seeing it. Yeah, that's true. So is it just kind of a step in the process you don't need? I don't know, but I guess going after the enterprise, I could see where, why they would be willing to pay a lot more money. Industrial use cases, you could see if they really get that tech up going, it could be very, very valuable. All right. What are, um, what are your thoughts on an Autodesk acquiring them? I, I said that. I think I said they were the one that got away. I think I tweeted that one time. I would be surprised. Autodesk is a serial acquirer. I would be surprised if they didn't make a push in Matterport because this fits right into all, almost all of their products. Yep. Like, um, All right. More or less interested, Brad, what are your thoughts on Matterport overall? Yeah, I'll keep this brief. Uh, definitely more interested. The There are no red flags, in my opinion, only yellow flags. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on this one for the next several quarters to see how real that LTV to CAC is, how real that expansion is, um, how real that 54% um, projected CAGR is, but definitely more interested if it is real. Yeah, Ryan? More interested. Um, and it's n- it, this is not something that I would refrain from paying a premium price for. Right now is a it's, it's a, a bit pre- of a premium. It's a premium squared price, I guess. Yeah. Uh, just ke- keep it on the watch list for the time being. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I think we're really in agreement here. I, on the watch list, pretty compelling. This could be one that's a better risk reward opportunity three years from now. I mean, it's it's pretty cool tech, and if they're right, you know, it could be it could be a great investment. Uh, but yeah, just keep it on the watch list for now. Uh, the last thing before we wrap up, we got stock for next week. Ryan, you got I, nothing for us? I forgot. You forgot? Well, so let's not pick up. Let's not pick one uh, just randomly. Yeah, uh, let me we'll, think about it. It'll be a surprise. Yeah. We'll, I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll break the streak there and it'll be a surprise for next episode, but it should be fun. And if you're listening to this, the Thursday episode is going to be Robin Hood with Ian uh, a little growth hack to try to get as many listeners as possible. We have some uh, fun takes on that show that everyone should listen to as well. That'll be coming out a few days after this. Uh, Brad, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, no, I'm just excited to listen to your take on Robin Hood. All right. there We got some spicy <laughs> They're a little bearish. <laughs> well, actually, there was it was balanced. It, it, yeah, hopefully it's balanced. Uh, uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, all right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.